Good evening, good evening, good evening. Thank you for listening to another KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. Fellas, how are you doing? Doing just well, doing just well. Doing well. This is the final examination week Uh at Southern University. So that means my chore is just about done for the semester. So I'm doing really well. Have mercy. That's good. You're doing well. You're doing better than Rocket fans are and Rocket players. So let's talk about the Rockets. Let's have a little post-mortem. Our last podcast, the two of you were correct. Y'all picked the Rocket season with the end in six. I said they'd win in seven, so I was wrong. Even little crow, I was wrong because the fellas did not play defense and defend the three points. I told you about that. On inbound, and inbound, the nine tenths of a second. I told you about that. So who was at fault there, Coach Wildcat? I am putting the blame. Well, I'm, I'm not so much to blame, but I'm spreading it around. One, as an owner, I wouldn't have allowed my defensive coach to leave before the playoffs were over. I would have okayed the negotiations, contract, and everything, but he would have had to have stayed on the bench until the season was over with. It's been done before. could have been done in that process. Don't understand it, but, hey, it happened. Two, when your top scorer doesn't play defense and shows little or no effort, to attempt to play defense at at least the last four to five minutes of any game, whether in regulation or uh, 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 overtime, that's a problem. That's a major concern, and you got to correct that. What else? The other thing that I saw was um, something that uh, Parsons mentioned the other night. They play well individually. They've got to learn to play well as a team on a consistent basis, not just in stretch runs. That I don't know how they correct that because that's going to be a that's going to be a, a team thing to be done, not so much of a coaching situation. The other thing that I saw, and lastly, I'm going to speak on this: his staff has to be readjusted. I don't know whether guys didn't quite understand what was going on after Coach Sampson left. But somebody should have been that was on that had been on that bench the whole season should have been able to step up in crunch time or in a timeout and make a suggestion. At least be able to put an, a bug in in an ear, and then move forward. Because that was that was lacking. All right, let's let's take it a little bit there. First of all, as a Cougar alum, I'm quite proud that let's let Coach Sampson leave I early. I know you are and join the Cougars as a head coach. Yeah, but I, I, I was surprised been hard for him not because really there was being at least it was rumored to have been discussed that uh, the Rockets were considering keeping Coach Sampson until the season was over. So, uh, so I know some alums, Eurovision alums, were on either side of, of the issue. Well, let him go. So that's why we don't we don't want him there. Some said, yeah. "Hell, he's better than we got. Better than what we're gonna get. We can wait." So you know, it it didn't it didn't turn out it didn't matter. He joined you know staff before the Rocket season was over. I think his absence absence was missed. But the last play, you know, first we criticized Harden for not playing well the first five games of the series. He played very well offensively in Game Six. Dwight did a great job in the fourth quarter of Game Six until he missed those four free throws down the stretch there, which could have pretty much iced the game for the Rockets up and maintained the lead. Omir Ashik 
picked up a really bad foul where Jeremy Lin banked in a three-point shot. would gave him a five-point lead about a minute and a half, two minutes to go. So things like that happened. But the last two possessions, Chandler Parsons scores an offensive rebound. Rockets go up 98-96, nine-tenths of a second left. I'm getting ready for the tweets and emails. Media will practice. Rockets and practice will be on Saturday at Houston at whatever time for Game 7 on Sunday afternoon. Looking forward to this. Crush! Crush! But Crush! During, <laughs> in the, Crush. during the inbounds, I could see uh, Harden. Confusion? Harden on, uh, let's see, who, who was named Harden Garden? Uh, Wes Matthews. Right. Patrick Beverly was initially on Damian Lillard. And then Chandler Parsons was on uh, Mo Williams. So it was Harden, Matthews, Beverly, Lillard, Parsons, Mo Williams. Curved around the three-point line there. And I could see Parsons and Beverly talk, say something. Next thing I know, Parsons switches on to Damian Lillard. Inbounds, which they didn't, they didn't even, did they even defend the inbounds? They, they I don't think they even bothered the inbound, you know, in distractions or whatever. You see Lillard coming, first step, he lost Parsons off that first step. Like a bullet. And just comes around, catches the pass, shot. Catch and shoot. You can see it going. I, I, Catch it was and in shoot. Was, I was like, this thing yeah, going yeah, in. Yeah. I was Catch like, oh and my shoot. goodness. Yeah, it was too nice of a, a shot in the face of somebody of his quality that has made big shots before. So and when you look at that individual play, I agree with you. I was concerned in terms of why you would not cheat to that side. Because in my oh, opinion, yeah. there's no way you're going to make the cross-court corner pass if he cheats and tries to rotate back. Obviously, he cut towards the goal, right? And yeah, the, I think you would you was, cheat, but you live with that. Cause yeah, you give up a two. You try don't game. give up a three. Coach. And so you don't give up for yeah, four hours. cheat out let them, and force them in. From the comments that were, that were made post-game at timeout, that was the last thing that Coach told him. Yeah, Coach McKell said during the press conference, post-game press conference, no threes. Now, having been in that situation before, it doesn't matter on whatever level. They, they hear everything except for the last thing that you say to them as they walk, turn, and walk back out on that floor. And we all face that at some point coaching. It just happened. That was Mikhail's night for it to happen to him. Right. That's why I didn't focus as much in that particular incident on the coaching. I think it says a lot if you want to give that much credit to the assistant coach in regard. And what's, what's concerning to me, it looked quite evident that Samson brought more to the table than we could have thought in regards to what we've seen previous of ability of the Rockets pre versus post Samson in terms of him leading for the team. I would have some concerns going forward with that. You know? We're going to kind of keep an eye on that. But it's amazing to me that obviously you know people are talented. And we know Samson has some great talent. There's some question maybe uh, off the court issues. And hopefully he's learned from that. Everybody deserves a chance to move forward and get things together. So 
not to really indict him or replay that, but it's more in regards to sure. giving him really credit in terms of how much he brought to the table. So that was concerning me. But if I look kind of at the whole schematic of first-round game, all six games now, uh, you have some concerns in terms of what they do on the defensive side. We talked about that all yeah. season long. That's my so pet peeve. to some degree, um, you're going to have to make some changes there. And I don't know if you can really change a switch on in terms of those players they got. So I think you have to bring somebody in that has more of that mentality that allows the players to kind of get away with something they're not all that good with, or at least do not put a lot of desire in getting better. So that's one thing that I think you got to figure away. So let's, let's add piggyback onto that. About the play in the stagger, James Hart did not, he did not know where the ball was. You look at the replays, he was lost. I mean, he stuck with his man. Wes Matthews could have gone to the, to the crowd. Hart would have gone with him to the crowd right. instead of going to the ball. You know, coach, Sometimes man, you play, man sometimes, ball. You gotta know where, you, where the ball is and where your sometimes where your man is. You you run. Sometimes you run a four and one, and you tell a guy, you tell one of your guys, hey, that's your glue guy. That's the one you. If he rolls out to the bathroom, you roll with him. That's pretty much. And, what and, he, did. and, that, and, and he didn't know where the ball was. He did not step out like you should. Yeah, but in terms and, of that and case, force. And force Lillard, he did not adjust himself now, to just uh, now, realize I need to step out once the ball is and in force play. to go further away from Lillard took like a twenty eight footer. Basically it was a, a yeah, three but, point shot. But I'm talking about to me, once he moved, it was over. He's too fast for you to recover. You have to cheat on the inside. Once you don't make that move and he makes that itch and you see that guy trailing, it is over. That ball well, Parsons, travels quicker. Parsons was than dead. He was dead off the off the break. He was dead. dead. But I'm Harden, saying the no, same no. thing. Harden if, was if, the last. He was the last hope. Right. But if I'm he would have seen, if he, if he, if he would have seen Lillard move, he could have at least stepped out and done something. My point. Pick his hand. I, pick his saying, hand out. Stretch it out. His I, arm. Something. I understand. He that didn't see any of that. I understand that in theory. Okay. Oh yeah, that's what, that's I'm, what I'm saying. Is if he doesn't recognize that off the bat that Charles. Parson has lost it and immediately react. It is too late. Right. And see, that's Even his if problem. He puts the hand out there. The man has already set his shot. He's clear. Once he has that clear vision, all you can hope is he missed that shot. He doesn't. That he's off. Harden does not have a defensive instinct. And and that's, totally that's, 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 that's the I mean, issue. Can't, we and, can't and, deny and that, that. And that could But be. I'm not that's, sure. That's first. That could, that could be and the major part of that will right. play defense. But first things first, right. he doesn't have the instinct to know, okay, but if I don't, this happens. Do they really do a lot of switching in terms of? Oh, yeah. 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 Well, pretty much everybody but him. Which is my point. You know, because, but let's go, let's, let's backtrack. Before the far? season started, before how the far? season started, during, okay. during training that, camp, that's, that's good. Harden said in training camp he was going to be a better defensive player this season. I haven't, I know, I was there. I haven't gone to Google, the, you know, the articles, but he said it because I think Jonathan Fagan and other reporters, Rockets.com, asked I'm, him about I'm thoughts on defense and play. I'm beginning you know, to believe that it's less about will than it is about skill set. And so we'll see because Monday was the the uh, end of season review. You know your what do you call it? The season 
wrap up kind of thing. Yeah. He and he said, "Quote, because he was asked to improve his defense. Quote, I have to emerge. I have to grow and take another step. It's a matter of will and focusing on that end as well. Focus is a major part of the game. Talent-wise, I'm there, but just focusing on the majority of the game needs to improve." I don't. I'm that doesn't sound like defense to me. That sounds like you're talking about overall offense or something like that. Not defense. You didn't say anything about. Well, I, I got mean, to say rebounding better. with his defense or something. But it's like mellow. I don't think he necessarily has the skill set in terms no, of his. No, I've his, seen his feet, in terms of his feet movement. We, we've I'm seen mellow play defense before. He can do that. He just is not required of him it with the Knicks, and, and that and that's been that situation. But with but, Hard, but I, with Harden. But, but let me tell you this. There is, to me, there are a few athletes that are really one condition enough. And I'm saying over condition. Okay. Most of them are okay. pretty conditioned. And those that really have the ability to play equally on both sides of the ball. So to just suggest that somebody can play the those defense. Are, those are elite players. Yeah. That can do that is one thing. But you're also going to say that you're going to take some of your offensive game away too now. Because it's not part and partial. It's very few. Uh, while we're putting his name out there, LeBron James, that really have the ability. That's true. In the physique. The, That's true. Not, not in the mindset and the wheel, but actually the talent to be able to play literally basically five people, particularly in this new style of game where you have smaller big men. Right. That can do it with the skill level he can. I mean, you had Cole. You think about those players that were both offensive and defensive players of the year. There's just not a lot of them out there. So, I don't want us to forget that and just because it's easy to pile on him. Not to say that he doesn't deserve anything. And we definitely don't do what everybody else does, just say stuff because that's what the proverbial masses say. But I do want us to make sure that we kind of take the big picture and looking at the fact that obviously it has to get better. But I still think what you need is you need more of a defensive specialist. Somebody that has that skill set. They got it somewhat. Uh, with the guard play. Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly. But I think there's only one component in terms of the guard. You really need somebody in the post play that can give you a little more. That's what I've been waiting for right there. Because it goes back to the answer that Les first mentioned about the Clippers. When he mentioned, I caught that. I was like, huh. That sounds like he still is after the one player that he didn't get this year as a free agent that he's been he's still pining for that's DeAndre Jordan he's wanted him at that position at that post position because of what he brings at at points in the game when it when there's a need to stop somebody right. he can go and do that and he's got the mindset yeah. to go to go and get that done right. when he mentioned about they should all become free agents he was looking out for himself, not just for the not for the league, because he was. Oh, no question about it. And that, yeah. when he said that, that was the first thing that come to my that, come, that was yeah. the first player that came to my mind. Yeah. That you still want that guy, and that's a way of getting him. On, not so much on the cheap, but that's a way of getting him, him making him available, yeah, and he, you and you getting that done. He ain't going nowhere. Yeah. You know, because and, and one thing about put that, him on the open. Market, oh, you put him on the open market. Then he'll find a way. To he'll find a way to get, get that get done. done but let's, take his chance. let's say this as well. Chandler Parsons used to be 
their best defender before Patrick Beverly got into the inserted into the starting lineup. Exactly. And I don't see the same level of defense. Chandler Parsons began playing exactly. competing to the level of his opponent. He bring it for the superstars. He would D up Kevin Durant, D up LeBron. He wouldn't D up as hard Nicholas Batum and dudes like that. So so that fell off as well. You know, Beverly on the perimeter is a good defender, but even when he was sick and battled a knee injury, he wasn't nearly as effective trying to defend Lillard as he was when he was healthy during the regular season. Dwight Howard, man, the you know, the, the basket and did a great job blocking shots during the series. But Parsons was weaker. Terrence Jones, Terrence Jones can't defend for Marcus Aldridge. Omer Ossie did a good job, but he foul prone and really Bad dumb foul sometimes, you know, obvious holes and and moving picks, things like that. <laughs> so, yeah. what about to talk about the Rockets acquiring Carmelo Anthony? I don't see it. I think it's just it's just excitement in there. It's almost like the Manziel talk. Well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna approach it this way. Is a is it an uh, is it a helpmate? Or the hurt make? Because numbers gotta, gotta make that work. How much is the loss, the plus minus situation make it surrounding, uh, making that work? Make their, their defense worse. No, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, you talking about who do they have to give up? Yeah. What, what are you, if in? I'm the Knicks, I'm Montana Parsons, first and foremost. Yep. Okay. And what else? Cause you got to, you, and I want Omer Asik second. Okay. Now with the trash, or the, that's the only two I'm gonna I'm I'm say. Okay, money wise and, and talent wise, that way. Why add it? Give me Terrence Jones too. Oh, we'll see. <laughs> then I'd have a. I, I mean, hey, you want my star player? I'm gonna ask for a yeah, lot I'm back. Ask a lot. You don't get him for nothing. Now, because at that after the first two, I mean, he can opt out I'm, I'm, look at, I'm gonna be looking at it. Okay, now you take down this trash and all off my hands. I'm not gonna call him trash. Well. <laughs> 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 and, and am I wrong? Because I'm looking at the contracts. I'm looking at the money side. I, I, and, then, and those are trash contracts. <laughs> because everybody else is above that uh, certain level. I give mean, me somebody, give me somebody that you call a trash contract. Uh, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think now because I'm not looking at no numbers and all. Let me just give me some names. Oh. Um. Pull up the rocket salary, so give me some names. Um, bring up somebody that's that's that's, that's benches. Um, oh, uh, Francisco Garcia. Garcia, uh, one. Armie Caspi. Yeah, yep. Yeah, see, I'm the next. I'd be like, yeah. Like I said, I want Chandler Parsons, Omer Oshik, and Terrence Jones. Yeah. The other names you're tossing out. Once again, I said I want Chandler Parsons, oh. Omer Oshik, and Terrence Jones. Yeah, and then, and then I, and then like, like only the way I do that is and then Daryl Marley gets on the phone and gets the three-way deal done. Is if he, if he forces, I probably only lose one. No, I'm a lose, I'm a losing for nothing. But I still think, I think Rockets is a far shot. I think if he's going, I think he personally is going to stay. Yeah, Melo ain't going anywhere. He's going to go. That's but way if too he much goes, money. I think he's going to go to Chicago. Right. That's now, Bulls and Rockets. Are, I just think he sees one, Chicago closer. Because if he's leaving, it's because he wants a championship. And you see them in a closer situation. I think, I think he would see them closer. Because I think he would see the Rockets closer to what 
he had in New York in terms of a very offensively talented team. But I think he understands, obviously, that offense has not really produced for him in terms of championships. He pretty much had that in the Nuggets, you know, pretty offensive well, that, solid team. That's true. So I think if he's going to make a switch, it's going to be a team uh, that counts to allow him to do that, provides him something that he really hasn't played with yet, which is a team that is that talented on the defensive side of the ball. But that's if Chicago doesn't end up giving a tip of though, because I'm not sure if he's going to stay there, because there's still with some problems yes, there. All I know as a Pistons fan, if they don't want Coach Thibodeau, he can, he can coach the Pistons, and I'd be thrilled to death. Speaking of coaching, what's going to be the deciding factor with Mark Jackson? He gone. He gone. Oh, he, he got turned Let him go today. It was a done deal. It was, oh, he it was, was some out of time. They tried to he get was a done deal. Now, where does he land? <clears throat> My man with uh, the Detroit News said the Pistons should consider him. My brother, V. Goodwill, you can follow on Twitter. Talk to him every once in a while. And who's the replacement in Golden State? Because apparently there's an ownership. Is he the hottest one on the market? Top three coach? Unless Thibodeau comes in. Yeah. Thibodeau stays. Thibodeau stays. Mark Jackson is is, is the guy. He's the number one guy. Because what he's done over the last three seasons. And so if he's the number one guy, that means he's going to have a lot of say. So where do you think he would want to go? Oh. Man, the sad part is you put him with the Knicks and they totally change the structure. I think Knicks hire Steve Kerr. They are? Yeah. Unless, that, unless something changes there, Phil Jackson will hire Steve Kerr. Yeah. Wow. Announced that soon or at the, right at the end of the playoffs. The show taking their time back. Who? Knicks are. You think Jackson jump back in? Oh, you met, think he'll take a job? They, like they met last week. Or he take a year off again? Mark, that's a good question. I'm sure mm-hmm. he probably thought about this. I'm sure he he saw the writing on the wall right. with the Warriors. I'm sure he's giving it some thought. And and knowing him, he will truly pray on it because he's a very spiritual man. So and he'll call his guy Van Gundy, and he'll really. Let the Lord guide him. Because he's already said he, he did say in passing that. I think that's a tough job. If it's if it's meant to be for me to grow my, grow my ministry, I'll do that. You know, yeah. instead of coaching. So we'll we'll see what he says. So, but yeah, he was let go today. Wow. Warren's got a plum job. So I mean, that's despite the fact Steph Curry said a few days ago he didn't want Mark Jackson gone. So I'm not sure. If, Went against the, the words of their best player and let the head coach go. And I haven't seen anything about Steph's reaction to it, but I'm sure you know. Privately, you're not happy, but he'll save the company line and publicly. So. Mm. But yes, sir, uh, Carmelo has a player option. If he wants to opt out, he got $23.5 million on the table from the Knicks. <clears throat> 2014-2015. The reason he would opt out is for a longer contract. Right. But Phil Jackson's already said publicly that he hopes or expects, really he expects Carmelo to give them a, a discount in order to begin lessening the Knicks' woeful salary cap situation. Really? I mean, the Knicks 
payroll right now fourteen for next season is ninety one million dollars. Even with Melo gone, it's it's uh sixty eight million dollars, and that's still above the salary cap limit. So yeah, they got some work to do. Yeah. But we are going to see about all those things. Any, any, since the rocket season's over. Who, who by the way, who did y'all, who, who, did, who y'all pick to reach the finals? In terms of are the they finals, still playing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My team's still playing. I, I'm looking for <laughs> Miami Heat. I think they have, uh, you know, with the Pacers really struggling as much as they are. Well, Hibbert got as much rebounds and, and mm-hmm. points that we did last night. Correct. I tell you what. The so I'm going to Miami Heat, then I'm going. League probably could have done a better job. The West, uh, that's interesting. I think I'm gonna go with the Spurs to find a way out of there, particularly right. with Oklahoma City looking like they might not even make it right. out of this round. Um, in regards to that, and if it is gonna be a long way, but I thought they were gonna get beat up over there in the West, and I still think that's a possibility. And so I go with the Spurs and Miami Heat to rematch. And, and I'm, that's what I picked too. Oh, yeah. And I'm gonna be honest with you, until somebody beats them, and I mean literally. Takes uh, two games and back to back in one of these series. To me, they still a guy. They still a team. They still a team. Meaning the Spurs. Yes. Okay. So who would win? Spurs Heat rematch. Uh, I still pick the Spurs. I think they'll find a way to. They find a way to lose last year in the finals. Well, that's true. I don't think that'll happen this Pop, time. Pop thought himself. I think Pop will just turn it over to the guys when he needs to. And everybody feels comfortable enough and knowledgeable enough to end a timeout, diagramming plays, or making a sta- uh, uh, speaking up. I don't think it'll be any closed ears to anybody, toward anybody this, this, this season once they get there. It'll be all about let's get another ring. Let's get this done. Do you agree with the Zen master? That the Spurs are not a dynasty because they never or have yet to win back-to-back titles. I still even use the the dictionary definition of dynasty as well. In his dictionary, dictionary it includes winning back-to-back. Apparently, to me, they won on a consistent basis, no doubt. And but still, say they're they, not they dynasty. They found a way. I think by the definition, as he said, I think what you have to say what he said is true. But in this new framework of basketball, even though Miami just got finished doing it, right? I think it's hard to argue if you win that many championships over basically a decade period of time. It's hard not to really see them as a dynasty. To see them as a very good team. But in this case, I'm going to go with the Zen master. And he is the Zen master. And they found a way to get it done with basically – Three core players, but I think that a lot and, of teams and, and, along that, with along with most a coach. teams do it, and I think but, I, I, but, would, I would suggest that that almost brings a better argument to what he's saying is that if they had three core players who have won championships, but they couldn't find a way to do it back to back. And I and two of those four they won in strike years. I forgot that. And some folks mm-hmm. put a little asterisk by that too. Hey. The, the, the city that we sit in does an asterisk by our name also now. So I did, did. Now the Rockets won two in a row. But now, there's an, there's an asterisk. There's an asterisk. There's an asterisk. And that asterisk is a piece of garbage. And I, that 
answers and I my will question. say other word out of respect for you all and the listeners, I will say garbage. <laughs> because I'm proud of my t-shirt that I wear. Yeah, I I'm going to go with the Zen Master. Now the more I think about it, I'm going to go with the Zen Master. I'm, go back I'm to back. Uh, I'm going to roll with my spurs. I think that is a very... Yeah, but you got to check out the personal and, connection and, with them. And, and no, it. and the only reason I say that is because with those, four, with those four people, those four men, the add-ons and subtractions that they've had—they have Tony Parker in the first one. You know, during that during that time period, they redeemed someone they won the first one. They and they robbed someone they won the first one. Right. And the admiral was there a long time. So it was Avery David and Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan has been there for all. Now and Pop, of course, but been there right. for all. Four. But in the process, though, I still look at it as that even the additions and subtractions they've had to go along with that group. I, it's, it's, I think part of a dynasty, man, more I think about it, you have to put a back-to-back in it. You have to have at least a back-to-back. At least one? At least one. Detroit Pistons. Houston Rockets. Detroit Pistons, as we all know. As any Pistons fan will tell you, this is from my man Travis, <laughs> who listens who listen to this podcast. You as any Pistons fan will tell you, oh, the greatest team in history of the NBA. Yeah. I don't know as, any, as any, know what did I say? I said, as, as any Pistons fan will tell you. Right. I, I'm, I'm not. Okay. I didn't say it as any basketball fan will tell you. My best friend is a Detroit Pistons so. fan, so he's reminding me that all the time. That's why I said I don't know about that because I'm sure he listens to this as well as he told me. So I need to make sure I had it on record. So, and so and my Michigan person that <laughs> listens to this ta- podcast on a regular basis, I don't want to hear that from you. I don't want to hear an email, a tweet, a Twitter, so, anything. <laughs> I'm solid now. You good with no it? No dynasty. All right. Because and what is it? There's four championships and you add in fact the two of fifteen years, somebody like oh, ever long it's been. Basically, team like his career. So you know, it doesn't. Now don't get me wrong. And and let me say this: winning a championship is hard. Yeah, it's difficult to do. That's why all those folks. And you didn't ask that. The, oh yeah, we're not saying they're not a great franchise. Oh no, no, no. Oh heck no. Probably the best model franchise managed. of the NBA. Yeah, and, and I think everybody should take that model well, and run with. Things. Yes. But the thing that people seem to just toss around and when they dump all over the Rockets, give me this stuff about Rockets wouldn't have won if Michael would have played. Hell, if I know. We don't know that. Yeah. Michael got in trouble. Michael wasn't Rockets fault. Michael wasn't in the NBA. <laughs> what if Michael would have got hurt? And, and going up against Elijah one got dropped, blew out his knee. If you're gonna, how many ifs and we're going to take out if Michael, Michael didn't play? Right. That's what I know. And we had two crazy people here at the, during that's that time. That's what I know. People. Michael did not play the Rockets won no championship. That's what I know. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And it's hard to win championships. Yeah, you know, if all kinds of ifs. So I think Spurs deserve a heck of credit in terms of what they have done as a franchise. And they are a superior franchise. And they definitely have a lot of championships and poise. And you talk about the great team. But the key thing we're looking at is dynasty, and I think one key component of the dynasty is Lee being able to put back-to-back championships together and making the finals. Many of those things that we're talking about have yeah, made the couple, finals. A couple of those years after the championship, they didn't get right. as far. Yeah, or yeah. at least the conference championships, you know, yeah. in, in a three out of four or three straight years type of role. And I think when you look at it like that, it's hard to argue against that analysis. Any thoughts on the NFL draft? 
I'm changing gears on y'all. Oh, of course. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Excuse my rudeness. Who are you, sir? How can folks find you on the internet? Yes, this is Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, Texas Southern University professor of sport management, sport business analyst in regards, particularly in the interest of collegiate sports, HBCU cultural analysis and theory. I can be reached on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. In terms of social media platforms, at Dr. Kenyatta Cavill. Picked up quite a few followers, so I appreciate that. Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, that's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. You can email me directly for questions, comments, K-C-A-V-I-L at THG-Agency.com. Let me say this, so we talked about Steve Kerr. Adrian Wojnarowski of Yahoo Sports has been tweeting that uh, Steve Kerr was expected to get into discussions with the Knicks Monday, but he's taking his time now uh, before he reaches a deal with any team. And Adrian has discussed that uh, one possibility will be the Golden State Warriors rather than the Knicks. So who knows what happened to Steve Kerr. Chances are Steve Kerr will still choose to become the Knicks head coach, but basketball-wise, I'd go with the there, there's no the question which team is in better shape, Yeah, you know, head-to-head. It's the Warriors. You're talking about winning right away. So we'll see how, how that plays out, but uh, and who are you, sir? I am, <clears throat> I am the Fifth Ward Wildcats, sir. How can folks find you on how the internet? Folks can find me on the internet, on Blogger, Twitter, Facebook, uh, YouTube at uh, AKSVDCSR, JL Woodley1 on Facebook and Twitter. I am the Fifth Ward Wildcat. And I am KG, owner of the Houston Round Ball Review website, www.vhrr.com. Or also Houston Roundballreview.com. I'm on Twitter at T H E H R Review. YouTube channel is Houston Roundball Review. Instagram is also Houston Roundball Review. We also have our podcast page on Facebook, KG Fifth Water Wildcat and Doc Podcast. You can look for that. And uh, ask us questions, send us your questions, post, your, post us your thoughts as well. Podcasts are available on iTunes and SoundCloud.com. We talked about a few things. We won't get into in details. We'll go about. We have we have ideas for the future, but that right. we'll lay on y'all when the time is when we're ready to, to uh, unveil them. But uh, you know, we have ideas in mind. I think you're going to enjoy them. And thank you very much for listening and your support. But NFL draft is third round one of the NFL draft this Thursday. Texans for right now have the number one overall pick. What are they gonna do? What should they do? And what are they gonna do? Now, what they should do, um, they haven't been that great in picking up a quarterback first overall. Uh, but they have been pretty good at picking up defensive players. And they still need to uh an inside threat 
uh, especially going with the new scheme and all they're going to uh, with this three four if I'm not mistaken, Doc. Right. Right. Um, I'd rather go with Clowney and then find because you, there are enough first round quarterbacks that can come in and learn the system that you want to that you want the team to go and bring in uh, a uh, rookie quarterback because you already have a starter. And uh, and the only reason I'm saying that is because you haven't shored up your offensive line. And that's basically where you are back when the team started. There are no bookends on this offensive line that everybody feels comfortable with to come in and protect a a first-year quarterback. If you don't pick up an offensive line, then, yeah, you are pretty much stuck with, I got to get somebody here that can that's mobile, that can adapt when the situation breaks down on them, at least the first year. So why not go with Klein? Yeah, I think the Texans are a safe organization. They do things very manufactured. They do it very safely. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think people can get the wrong idea when you say uh, that they're safe. But I think when you're coming in with a new coach, it is hard for me to imagine that you can have a real level of success and also bringing in a first-year quarterback. It doesn't happen much, and when it does, it's usually not uh, really good, particularly when you talk about some of the issues they have with the um, absence of booking offensive linemen, particularly at the tackle position, which is going to be very necessary, particularly if you go the Manziel route in regards to somebody that's small in stature. You also need somebody that is going to design the offense around his strength, which is moving him outside of the pocket on a lot of plays. You see that with Seattle. You see that, obviously, with New Orleans, with coaches that were more mature, been in the league, uh, had some success, and understand that you can do things offensively with a quarterback that is shorter in nature, that is mobile, but the fact that you need to design your pocket in such a way to roll out. Because of his stature, if he stays in the pocket, it's going to be just difficult for him to see over. You see uh, the need for him to throw off their toes versus moving them around as much as necessary. So I say all this to say that while Manziel uh, really did everything you could want at the college level but win that championship, whether it's conference or national, but in terms of media attention, what he could do, you have to give a lot of credit. And I'd like to see him have some success. I think you're going to have to design the offense around him, and I just don't see Coach O'Brien doing that. So with that being said, I think defensively you're safe, even if he's not, quote-unquote, a Hall of Famer at the defensive end position. He can give you a lot of success and still be worthy of a top number one pick on the defensive side of the ball, even if his motor, quote-unquote, as many people suggest, doesn't run as high. But I think that's kind of people pushing and having ulterior motives in regards of what we know took place in college and you know the fact that he had a teammate that blasted out his knee the year before. You're that close to really financially securing yourself. It's it's understandable that somebody would do that. And I think he's just too talented not to leave it on the field once he uh, financially is in a position to not have to worry about that more. So all that said, if you can, you trade back to get some more picks. But I think in this phase, most people, in a way, nobody really trades up 
very much anymore. The Atlanta team talked about it. They've done it before. So they may be uh, ownership and a GM that does it. So that may be the one you look at. If you can do that, then you do it. But I think safe pick uh, is to go with Clowney in terms of what he can do for you over the next five, six years, even if he's not just an elite player. He still can provide you a lot of success on that side of the ball. All right. Football is not no longer my bailiwick. Basketball is my thing. <laughs> you got burnt out, man? You but, they they uh, beat you down? I'm going to toss out something I heard, a few things, listen to. <laughs> That's gonna be, I'm going to be, uh, what's his name? Skip Bayless. I'm going to be contrarian. Really? Just really? Toss out stuff here. Khalil Mack will be the Texans' number one pick. Heard of him? Yeah. Yeah. He, it, hey, I got no problem with that guy. I, I heard that name tossed I out think, this morning. I think he's very talented. I got. I got. I personally had no problem with that guy. Outside linebacker from Buffalo. Right, but I think not sure of I'm not sure if you take him at the number one pick in terms of your expectations. Now, you take it to that go back oh, to what oh, you yeah. You didn't say, you didn't, you didn't no, no. mention about number one position. You mentioned number one pick. No, 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 no. I'll be even more specific. From what one. I heard today, yeah, number one overall. In the scuttlebutt, um, in the NFL film mock draft, Khalil Mack would be the Texans' number one overall pick. Wow. It, it, I, just, I wouldn't like it. I uh, wouldn't surprise me again. There's some things that I've seen the Texans do that just leads to head scratching. Now, so for me, with that being said, is that one of those situations going back to Mario Williams where it was an easier deal to get done? Do you think they reached back that far in the memory and all the memory banks to 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 make that that suggest that suggestion and that. But I don't think deals are that hard to get done these days because of the new collective bargaining agreement right. where they really fix everybody slotted in. Slotted yeah. in. So I would agree with you in theory if we were still back in that old format that it may be a concern for the Texans because they are financially in a position where they do look at, you know, where they're going to slot and can they get a deal done. But I don't think that's going to be a big issue when you look at the slotment of new players now. So I don't think that's an issue now. And I'm just going to. I'm, re- I'm reading Todd McShay, ESPN.com. Uh, he's got Khalil Mack as of his last mock draft, latest one, going to the Raiders at five. I think this was a few days before the info I heard today on radio about the Texans taking Mack at number one. He, uh, McShay has exceptional football traits all up and down for Khalil Mack. He's got above average versus the range versus the run, above average for tackling, instincts above average, uh, above average intangibles. Everything else, production, height, weight, speed, durability, take on skills, third down capabilities are all exceptional. You don't take a linebacker no more. But technically, technically, Jadavion Tony is a linebacker, especially in the 3-4. Technically. 4-3, 4-3, he'd be a down line. I guess. But we'll we'll see. I mean, there were some folks saying that, uh, and, you know, plus Roman Cornell is a defensive is a defensive coach coordinator for the Texans. He'd figure out a way to maximize 
Exactly. Whoever. And Jadavion, most of the you know, now, they might be hybrids play more, anyway, but they you know, hybrid, you know, they flip, so, you know, know. But it won't, you know, does not seem that's going to be Johnny Manziel. Well yeah. uh, who some people want Texas to pick choose with the number one pick. Yeah, I can see why. Very exciting player. So, going to put a lot of. I just don't know how to Mac like to be contrarian at all. But I just don't see. I don't follow. I don't, I don't see follow it working. If you really you know. talking about it working, I just don't see it working. So we'll see how that goes. Just throwing a little football curveball in there for the listeners because we are versatile and we will get back into football. Yeah. Are you gonna Are you gonna try to get to uh, yeah. Big Twelve Media Day football yeah. oh, Media yeah. Day whatever? Yeah. So you know. Yeah. We do things I mean, differently here on these podcasts. Yeah. So. I mean. <laughs> As I was sitting in the editing room today, and I uh, video editing uh, some uh, interviews and all I've done this season uh, that I was able to get, it's been it's, everybody's been amazed and all of the variety, the diversity of, of sports, variety of different uh, conferences and all, and it was this amazement how. Once again, that was a question of how I was getting all this done, you know, and based here in town, in in this city, and as they say, look like me. What I do on an individual basis, that's for somebody else. I said, well, you all are here in this class. You're here for a reason, and I hope it's not to be just <laughs> <laughs> you. You got some agenda and all to be putting out there. Trying to catch what's going on on the corner instead well, of making a step up. I think it says more for you than what it doesn't say for any other person. I think one thing as a professor and a teacher, engineer, one thing I've always said: you can't really teach want to. That's you true. You can have skill sets. You know, people can have a desire and things of that nature, but you can't really teach somebody how to go get it. And essentially, what you're talking about is going to get it. But this kind of goes back to one thing I do kind of want to make sure that I continue to kind of follow for the listeners and keep their eye on because it's kind of gone in the backdrop in, in regards to what we see going on with the NCAA and the Big Five continuing to push. You're about to go through the end of the year. So the conference meetings are going to take place, and obviously people are going to be at the Big Five conferences with the SEC, ACC. Uh, the Big Ten, Big Twelve, and the Pac-12. Well, the Pac-12 just started there, and you can tell that these commissioners of the Big Five had a talking point, and so they continue to push their item, and so continue to watch out during summer, particularly when the vote takes place. It's already been passed at the Board of Governors level, House level, in regards to giving um, the Big Five the autonomy. I say, quit using these cute words they're using, giving them more power. And the ability to really make the decisions they want. And if the way I interpret some of these governing rules, these other conferences will not even have the ability to push legislation right. through anymore. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important when you look at what's taking place that is really just going over most people's heads in regards to that they're not just saying they want autonomy to do what they want to do. It's far past that. They want power and control to not only do what they want to do, but stop others from doing things as well. And I think that's a tragic scenario. And as Jim Brown said, the more and more I see about the NCA, 
Uh, just the more frustrated I get with that organization and what they stand for. Jim Brown called them reprehensible. And he said, I want to make sure. Education. I That's what that sure is. I want to make sure they quote me directly. Yeah, that it was as you strong know, as possible. Because uh, he thinks what they're doing is deplorable. And they need to be ripped apart and start over. And they're trying to change nuances. And I agree with them. They just need to start over. So I hope the schools actually vote against the Big Five in such a way the Big Five have to kind of decide what they want to do and leave because it seems like that's what they're doing anyway. But they're just finding a way to keep their ball here so they can get their basketball money. If they're going to act in this way just to control everything, I think people need to understand it's time to move around. Two things. One, in our last podcast, you and Wildcat talked about the non, the other 280 or ever many schools there are. The deaf and dumb. Thank you. So you think they're going to have the stones to vote no? No, uh, I don't no. think so. Yeah. Uh-uh. so <laughs> because <laughs> like, if, if fear, fear to put them in this position, and fear is going to hold them in this position. They are uh, like a, I think it's like, less, like a third world or third world country underdeveloped. I think it's less about fear because fear is what allowed them to vote when they first put up the two hundred, two thousand dollar stipend that the Big Five basically pushed out there. I think what it is more now is just that they're less organized than ever before, and they don't really speak as a voice. So you're going to have those FBS programs. They're going to coalesce because they're somewhat at the table. I think they're pretty much going to vote with it for the most part because they're conference commissioners of suggesting that this will work out. But I think the other schools may vote less likely to vote yes. But at that point, you start to strip down the numbers, and I'm not sure if you can vote it down at that rationale. So that's where I see it kind of flipping. And I just see it as a lack of organization. Well, let's close it out with uh, a few women's basketball notes. We're getting into uh, the summer, the WNBA season, or as I call it, the non-Houston Comets uh, time of the year. The dead zone? Thank you. You said it. I didn't. I am still on the WNBA media list, but let's just leave it at that. I am still on the WNBA media list, but whatever. Anyway... You repeated that with uh-huh. the, to let yeah. folks know. Yeah. I still get information now. Yeah. Even I, though there's nothing here yeah, for me I still to cover. Get information, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. The Houston Cougars coach Ron Huey, new head coach of the women's basketball program, announced, uh, made official what, on one of the moves that we already knew, Wildcat already knew, but today announced that uh, Ty Dillard will be joining the coaching staff. She was at Mississippi last season and uh, USC, Southern Cal. Got to say that now since South Carolina is making serious claims to being the USC in women's basketball. Sorry, Coop. I still love she you. She did that for a reason. I, I know you're going to tell me that. For that. A reason. I know that. She did it for a reason. But, yes, Southern, uh, South Carolina with their recruiting class to, uh, you know, lay claim to being USC on the east side of the, of the country. And everybody on the west side of the country, so the Cal is USC. Anyway, Ty Dillard joined the staff, Coach Huey, and Coach Huey also announced that Raven Justice will return for her fifth season on the bench. So uh, it's going to be an interesting staff in this sense. Those three people look like us. Yeah. That, and, this be is not, and this is not an HBCU. 
So we know where I'm going with that. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of roll with it. In terms of uh, donations, alumni support, we'll see how some of the older alums respond to that. Now, you and I, well, I was in the room when the first major head coach uh, was Kristen on on uh, on, on campus uh, when Coach Brooks got the job. There was a rumblings. Then the second time it happened, it was almost an outcry of we taking our money back when Coach Sumlin got the job. Sure. Now you went three revenue processes on your third one and you put in a person of color as they say in charge. It's not the first one. Jesse Kenlaw was right. Was the first women's mm-hmm. basketball coach of color. Yes, and she had a lot of success. A lot of success. And that wasn't an outcry then, because that was a, they needed somebody, and she was willing to take the job right. and take the program to where it needed to go. Women's basketball was an afterthought. Now that it, it's, it's, I'm still thinking it is. Well, it's, it's returned to being an afterthought yeah. once again. Yeah. Uh, so, because uh, of what, what has transpired recently. Uh, but I think the moves that they made, even that drop of where, where you're going at, I don't even think we have to go that deep. I think the way they went about the hiring, who they had the opportunity to bring into the program, uh, in many different levels, and, and where they went, and this is no disrespect to this person, I hope they find a way to, Get it done, but I think it says a lot in terms of the expectation of the program. And unfortunately, I think it's going to hurt help hurt the coach because even the administration is really not doing the due focus. So it's it's not going to be much for me to believe that the alumni is not going to be much either. And I'm I think the focus is going to go on men's basketball, and if they can generate some noise, I think maybe on the backside it may help women's basketball. For bringing some general attention and bringing some general revenue to the overall program where you can shift over. So I think the two issues that you're going to have to see play at U of H for the women's program to really start moving forward is the football program is going to have to find a way to get back to the level that you just talked about, Kevin, Kelvin, uh, in, in regards to that. And before that, when they were winning those 10, 10 wins a year and making a run, it's time to make the first BCS Bowl. You're going to have to get back to that level so you can generate that revenue, find a way maybe to get some eyes looking for you at the bigger conference so you can really get your television money. But we know in Houston that uh, you have to be a front-running team to really bring in the fan base and get the support. So you're going to have to win. You have to do that at the basketball level, be excited. There's a brand of basketball that the fans of U of H like. So not only do you have to win, that's one good thing, but you need to win to some degree with some style. It's, It's like UCLA. The Lakers, in my opinion, in terms of not only do you need to win, but you need to win with some style, which is difficult these days. Sure, coaches sure. tend to not play at that matter and level. Uh, but those are some things that you need to consider in regards to that. As much as I respect women's basketball because of what you all do, everything in my mind tells you that Houston's just not in the business on the women's side of basketball. And I agree. Which brings me to, as I close it out, what's 
may turn into be a uh, regular occurrence. <laughs> My Connecticut Husky moment of the podcast, because they are a member of the American Athletic Conference. Yes, they are. Duly noted. Coach Oriyama got his second verbal from a top 10 player for the class of 2015. Now, before you get started, and, and, and when I tell people this, they just don't understand. I presume the player is above the, the height of six feet. Uh, Dijonet is six foot two. I rest my case. To you listeners that listen to this podcast, I tell y'all all the time. This is a big girl or women's conference. This is not little girl conferences anymore. They no. deal on a they deal on a different level. Yes. Than anybody else. And Dijonet six two. Like I said, this is a class of two thousand fifteen. So Ooh. she'll be with the Huskies fifteen sixteen season. She joins the number four ranked Dijonet's number ten prospect according to Hoop Girls ESPNW Hoop Girls. Does the number four prospect Nafisa Collier. Who's six foot one? Uh, I think the, the Cougars do have some players. Uh, Jessica Palmer, six feet tall. The twins, Tyler and Taylor Gilbert, are six feet two. But those, you know what? Jessica's a point you guard. You just disappointed me. Taylor and Tyler are post players, so you, they're not you, you they're not wing players. Okay. Right. You just disappointed but me. I do believe you made a reference. I do believe that they are. And I said on podcast, previous podcast during this season that. The best, the most talented players on U of H's team were the freshmen and sophomores. And that's where the twins are, and Jessica Palmer is, was their sophomores. So that's we'll, a good thing if you're trying to build it. So we'll see what the new coaching staff can do with that talent. But it ain't UConn talent. Okay, does not kid ourselves here. Coach Huey and the staff have their work cut out for them in a massive, massive, we're talking two, three, four, five years away. However, Oh, and this, I want you to check this out. Dijanae Boykin, number 10 prospect in the country, was the Maryland, State of Maryland Player of the Year. So she did, opted not to go to play for the Terps. She chose to play for Gino and the Huskies. They usually do. So that's how, that's, they, they, they that's they the power do. of UConn. They usually do. So that's all I'm saying there. On Twitter, I just wrapped up. I'm gonna wrap it up with the women's basketball. Go figure that. How about that? To yeah. Coach Huey's credit, uh, the DFW Elite, which is one of the premier AU girls programs in Texas and the country, you know, um, especially in this region. Brittany Grounder played for DFW Elite a little bit. Alice Sims played for DFW Elite. Brooklyn Pope, uh, Dukes. Uh, Misha Jones didn't play for, uh, oh, I mean, you can just pick national programs and there's a chance that someone from the DAW elite is, is on, <laughs> on the team. Coach Huey, at least, just give the man credit for his Wildcat. Oh, yeah. Extended I... offers to four DAW elite players. Mm-hmm. Class of 16, roughly. So at least they, he knows what the talent is. Yeah, he's, he's, he's putting it out there. Yeah. He's got his eye on it. So that's a step in the right direction. Yeah. I'm not expecting, if they get one of those four, I think it'd be great. Yeah. But at you least, start they, they, he's raised his level of expectations for the talent. So that's a, that's a positive. And we'll, we'll share some other things with you 
off the air. Doc. Yes, thank you. But, uh, gentlemen, we're going to wrap it up. Anything you want to say in closing? Go ahead. Anything you want to say? You, Doc, whoever? The uh, <coughs> College Sports Report has nothing. Not at this moment to close with. But you will. I will. Because you'll be going to Media Days Football. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. And uh, the other thing is, and that, that, that uh, this was a question I wanted, uh, Doc, if you can't answer uh, in a short period. The next um, meeting, convention period, or lo- convention, large gathering, will be the SIDs in the month of June. Usually when folks, when they, when they, all of this comes out, it's during or right after the College World Series, which ends on the 22nd, if I'm not mistaken, right. this year. Within two to three days after that, what is your prediction on final vote? Oh, my prediction on the final vote is that the Big Five will prevail in terms of getting what they want, and that's having, as they say, autonomy, as I say, power and control to do what they want to do. And how soon will that be instituted? Uh, basically it'll be instituted immediately, but you won't see all the governing bylaws that they want to interact. You won't see that until probably going into place and on paper until like January, February, and essentially will take total, uh, athletic season. Athletic season, the following season, which will be what, 15, 16. But everybody will be talking about it come football media today, most likely. Especially. Oh, yeah. You're going to know. You should know. Okay. And it'll be on everybody's top list, one way or the other, depending on how that vote goes. You'll know. But I, I would suggest that you'll have a lot of commissioners from the Big Five smiling and trying to promote everybody else and tell them what they did was the right thing for everybody in college sports. And I, I totally disagree. One thing I would like to do quickly before we move on, which is just a general uh, synopsis of the end of the year for HBCUs, particularly with the baseball program. They're starting to play for the NCAA tournament season. Season has concluded, and in the MEAC, you have in the Northern Division, Delaware State, they finished at 26 and 15, winning uh, that going away. Southern Division is represented by Bethune Cookman. They jumped back up and got it done 22 and 27 overall, 14 and 10 to win it for the division. Right behind them on the hills was the Rattlers. First year new coach really did well, got 20 plus wins on the season to give them a lot of credit. And it'll be interesting to see what they'll be able to do next year. The other team that gets a lot of credit, they did not win a championship, and they're in a division that arguably has right now probably the best baseball program in terms of HBCU is Melendez bringing over what he did at Bethune-Cookman. Now he submitted Alabama State in terms of winning his first basic division. 34-19, some big wins. Just had a big win over Miami last weekend. In, uh, Miami, Siri. Miami who? Florida, 6-5, top Excuse me? 20 team. In the you heard him. Time, you heard him. Taking one of the you heard him. Say, say again. Yes, they beat Miami, Florida. I think it was ranked number 17 in one poll. Definitely in the top 20 team. Outstanding. In the top rankings, they beat them 6-5. Pitching is, is pitching. So they're very solid in terms of what they do. So they're going to look to try to win their first SWAT championship in the tournament. Uh, haven't done that yet. And then on the Western Division side, uh, surprise was Arkansas Pine Bluff winning the division, Western Division size 22-26. Came down as they had to come on the road here in Houston to beat Texas Southern, taking two out of three. They took two on Saturday. We closed out the division and got it done. They did 
uh, lose the third game, but they had already wrapped up the division, so a lot of kudos to the Golden Lions out there. They got it done. The surprise in the squat, though, was Alabama A&M. First-year coach had that program moving in the right direction. They had, hadn't had had 20 wins in maybe 10, 15 years. They got 20 wins this year. Uh, second in the division, uh, ahead of Jackson State and Alcorn, uh, finishing with a conference record of 12-9. and nine. So the Alabama A&M Bulldogs are making some noise. So keeping your eye on it. And the boot goes to Louisiana team, Southern. They do not even make the tournament. Wow. Time ever. I was going to ask you. Six and 16. Overall, they just had what 10 wins. What transpired? 26. The, what most people think is the assistant coach, Pueblo, uh-huh. uh, is a Villa guy that actually played for Southern, okay. maybe about eight years, maybe ten years ago now. Very solid player, all-conference player. Um, he did a lot of the day-to-day practice stuff, and um, Venezuela was doing some things, whatever, got mad at him or something, and didn't let him out of the country in terms of his visa. Oh. Uh, so he's still trying to deal with that side of it. Okay. My understanding it was from the Venezuela side, not the U.S. side, right. in right. regards to that. So he at home and was not allowed to leave. Wow. So that's wow. pretty much uh, wow. messed up the season. Again, that's another example of assistant coach meaning a lot to a program, right. as we talked about earlier with the Houston Rockets. Again, that just surprises me that assistant coach could be that much. And, well, they, they uh, handled they, a, a, a lot. They, they handled a lot. of. And then he didn't get help in the two coaches that he brought in. They were new. He got some money to bring in a third coach he didn't have. So he ended up bringing two coaches, but both of them were new. So it's obvious that they have a huge learning curve to what in there. So I will suggest that that was part of it. But uh, there has been a downward trend in terms of Southern overall dominance in baseball, mm-hmm. but it wasn't enough where they hadn't found a way to win a championship. They hadn't won. This was the first class last year there where they had a team that did not win a flat championship in terms of the tournament okay. uh, during their four- or five-year stay at Southern. So that can kind of give you an indication how we're trending in the wrong, wrong direction for Southern fans. So that's a program to keep your eye on in terms of yeah. see if they can find a way I to I look forward that. to that. Because that is arguably the most renowned program in the flag right. in terms of what On a consistent basis. Yeah. That team actually, historically speaking, is uh, is the only HBC program that won a national championship in baseball, and that was in NAIA level. That the Grambling didn't make it to the final championship game, but lost twice. Uh, one last thing on the swag. I understand they've cha- uh, changed the uh, location of the tournament this year. Yeah, I was and, and, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Uh, moving from what, what transpired? The field was just not kept and really hadn't been managed. It was unsafe. Since, yeah, and to break it down, it was just truly unsafe. So they went back, and they have a relationship with Major League Baseball. There's some questions whether the commissioner wanted to reach out to them, but finally it was done. And so he did reach out, so kudos for him getting that done. And it seemed like Major League Baseball was more than happy to have him play down there in New Orleans at their ballpark that they just built. So remember, they opened up the season there. Right, I did, did, did the uh, Urban now. Uh, urban, well, actually it was the HBC Classic uh, in uh, terms of that. Okay. At the Urban League Classic in Southern and Grambling played there to open up the season. I'm done. And, uh, we, you know, the baseball team of U of H came off. They won a series over, uh, what, UCF? Yeah. So they're only 10 and 8 in, in conference. And you believe 
Conference-wise. Because they had started off Conference. so solid in non-conference. Wildcat can tell you. Go ahead. What are your Two thoughts things. on it? One, first, pitching got inconsistent, and then they went on droughts of no hitting. Um, and it wasn't so much of better better pitching coming in. It was just the guys. No, that's, the, the, that's the, the college game. They're actually you know, going to change the baseball. They're going to tighten it because they've lost a lot of the hitting. And, um, and so I don't think it's going to be a, the general lack of hitting in college baseball plus some solid pitching and, and the fact that you have teams that can go on drought. And they've changed the bats and all. Really on a, a, yeah. they, well, I'm saying they had already changed the bats, but they're even talking about going back. And they really don't want to change the bats because of safety issues, but they are going to change the baseball and make it tighter because they want to get a little more hitting, some long ball in the game, uh, some more general excitement in such a way. But they don't want to do it on the bat side, so they're going to try to do it on the baseball side. So what you're saying makes perfect sense because it's just down all over the country. And then uh, in the situation with Rice, they are still, um, even though they're in the conference uh, tournament, you know, They'll do what they do only because of the HID product, uh, Coach Wayne Graham, who, who's won before. Uh, they are still recovering from losing their two uh, arms early in the season. They and it's it's just been by committee. Yeah. And patchwork. And patchwork. But, but his talent. Is so but much, his talent is so much better. So much better. At least in terms of the conference, conference play, they can get it done. They can get it done. So both of those teams right now, from what uh, Kendall Rogers of the uh, uh, Perfect Game uh, 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 Committee uh, mentioned on last on this past weekend, that they are both most likely host uh, a regional, and uh, it'll be interesting, especially now that they they're in two distinctly different type conferences and all uh, this year. It's not so much like before when it, when Rice was in the uh, WAC and uh, U of H was in Conference USA. Now it's Rice in the Conference USA and U of H is in the American. But Louisville and Central Florida, uh, those teams offer a lot. They offer a lot. Um, and don't forget also starting Thursday morning at 10 a.m. At, at Cougar Field, softball. The American starts. U of H doesn't play until uh, later that evening, about six thirty to seven o'clock. Uh, but uh, come on out! It's three days, uh, eight game, uh, eight team uh, format, four games, uh, two and then one. Well, how about that? In the podcast, talking, mentioning some softball. <laughs> Only on our podcast do we go from NBA, NFL. Big five power conferences, UConn, women's basketball, and ended with some softball. Outstanding work, gentlemen. Thank you, as always, once again, for your insight and your your knowledge. Uh, we'll try to do it again, I guess, next Tuesday. Hopefully, we can got to be the weekly. You get in a routine, have it on Tuesday, and sure. everybody used to that until basketball season starts again or until football season starts, college football. So uh, thank you, as always, for your contributions. Everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for telling your friends about it. You say you got friends in Michigan listening? Yeah, I got some, some Detroit friends so and all that's listening. So that's good. God bless you being a Pistons fan out there, listener. Thank you very much. And Doc's best friend is a Pistons fan. See, we're everywhere, Travis. We're everywhere, baby. So thank you as always This, this person actually worked in Ford, used to uh, work, actually, well, he still may be uh, working in, in Ford Field. 
So good for him. He stayed in the D. So good for him. Gonna wrap it up. I don't know on a, why. On a much, much, see, that's a, that's a great way to wrap it up. So you're gonna be a hater like that. That's all right. Bad boys forever. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more. <laughs>